0: There was a small company called AltaVista that was acquired by Overture, GoTo. They did this ad search auction model and then Google actually perfected it. That's the history in search. Intent-based advertising is the only way people advertise. Today, even what you just described is intent-based. A search query could lead to intent and that is really valuable real estate. It was just not something that people focused on. It was all about granite, prizes and big dollars.
1: All right, my friends, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, what is up? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to The Charlie Shrem Show, powered by Untold Stories, where we get to do a lot of cool things We actually have a crazy movie in post-production that we put together that's another movie starring my wife, Not Ask Me to Dance, which everyone can check out on streaming. We have a whole psychological thriller that we we put together that everyone's really going to enjoy by Untold Stories. It's crazy out there in Bitcoin and crypto land. There's so much going on every single day. So many podcasters and interviewers are really focusing on the conversations of the day, the FTX drama, all these different things. You know, we've been together doing this show for almost four years now. And what I like to do is during these stressful times, I don't focus on the negative. I don't want to focus on what is collapsing. I want to focus on what is being built out of the ashes of that. And you'll notice that with the themes of the last few episodes, that we've really been focusing on what is being built right now that we're going to be able to use, invest in, and have fun with six months from now, a year from now, or what's like actually being built right now that people are using, that's not making the mainstream media in such a negative way. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Sakina Arsowal. She's coming to us from India. But before I introduce her, you've noticed that we're doing the show ad free for a while for the holiday season. I love our sponsors, but I decided that in the new direction that we're going to take the Charlie Shrem show, I want to be able to fulfill out my vision and be able to do that without worrying about dealing with the economic repercussions of that. Let's just say that. So on the flip side, I'd like to ask of everyone just click that subscribe button or leave me a review, leave the show a review. When you do either of those little things, it takes a second. It makes sure that the show gets in the algorithms that it needs to be in the charts that it needs to be in all over the world. It enables us to maintain this show as a break, even or profitable business for the three or four people that work full-time on this. And they thank you. And I thank you. And thank you to my guest, Akina. Thank you so much for coming to the Charlie Shrem show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be
1: here. There's so much to talk about here. What I've been trying to understand is in this new Web3 world that is being built, especially with your company, Taki, which is a token-powered social network, I'm trying to understand how people are willing to put their trust in these new protocols, but also these very different user interfaces. Going through writing the show and going through your, your background, you have a crazy resume and CV. And I want to get into like cool, fun questions for everything you've done over at Groupon and YouTube and Google and and Yahoo. But I want to ask you about Nextdoor before we get into talking. So a lot of people have just recently moved anywhere you are in the world. We saw this like great migration. People moved, you know, during the pandemic, they realized that where they were living, they didn't like and they moved to a new place. Did you did you move anywhere during the pandemic?
0: For a little while I did, but within San Francisco, but I did move. Yes.
1: So a lot of people moved around, myself included. And if you've noticed that like when you moved, you got this thing in your mailbox from this company called Nextdoor. It's like this very neighborhoody social network. And what I've noticed is there's so much trust in there. And so what I want to ask you is, how did you do that? How did you get it where you have this application that like literally my brother started his own contracting painting business? he just gets all of his, all the people on Nextdoor from his neighbors will find him and hire him that way. There's almost no need for advertising. I'm going to want to dive into that a little bit later and understand how we do that with Taki and some of the other applications of today. I mean, how, how did that happen in your opinion?
0: So I think Nextdoor, I mean, it's really a mission oriented company, right? Like that's the founder's DNA. That's how it started. And a lot of it was literally going to every small neighborhood, like starting one neighborhood at a time. And Engaging with them, building a platform that was right for that neighborhood, and then scaling up. Nextdoor was never about get as many people as possible. It was more about gets verified people. You get a postcard, you know, assumingly if you get a postcard, it was in your mailbox. So we know that you lived there, right, in that particular geography. That exactly you, where you came your address, you yeah. Exactly. So I mean, it was more about truly getting neighbors to connect with each other. That's why it has become so popular. And what you just described. If it's your family member who has a business and gets all their leads from Nextdoor, it's actually real. It's happening across the country, across the world, like whichever country is Nextdoor is enlivened. You feel so much commerce that's happening at the local level and so much discovery that's happening through Nextdoor. And I think it's, it's just focus on like authenticity, focus on making sure that you're growing right. That's what differentiates Nextdoor amongst most other social players at that time. So yeah, I mean, and you see that in the usage.
1: I'm almost wondering if blockchains and protocols can take some lessons from that instead of focusing on the quantity and how much it's more about quality and verification of the users, potentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the way I look at products, right? I mean, and you touched on my background. I've built, been building products for a very long time. I think you have to understand what promise you're making to the user and why they are using your product. I mean, even for you, right? Why, why are people tuning in? What is, ha- what is really that is the promise you're making? And I say promise, not what you're selling, because I think it's very different. What is the handshake that's happening between a user and the person building the product? And I think those two things, if you focus on that, is verification right for blockchain? I don't know, right? I mean, it could be something that why people are using blockchain, right? Is it like interoperability? Is it, you know, just ability to kind of own their data? Is it more about, sharing the economic, in the economic upside. That's what I'm most passionate about. Today, so much of the value generated in social platforms is absorbed by the platform because that's the way business was done and is done. But what if we change that and flip that model around? So I think if that's the promise we're making to the user, it's really about building features and product experiences that are true lined to what is the handshake between the user and the service provider. That's how I look at it at least.
1: How do you know how, like, how do you know what oh the handshake is? I mean, you're talking about, can I give a little, the, the listeners a little bit of background about you? I mean, you led product sure, growth at, at Nextdoor. We just talked about that, but then at YouTube, you helped take YouTube international, including at India, a product leader at Google search internationally, focusing on, like you said, the, the value of that graph and not the, the number in all of those different products. It was about the long-term relationship of the specific user. But going back to my question, like you said, the listeners of this show, I mean, I guess I get a little bit of feedback from the listeners from reviews and emails and things like that. But how do I know what the listeners want?
0: I think it's, that's a really hard problem. and I think it's especially hard for you because it's like you are constantly generating new content. I, I don't think this is an easy way, right? I mean, we have, we've learned about like lean startup and product market fit and just different ways to do product development. A lot of in the early stage, I also did a social startup, which I actually sold to Groupon. And I think it's really pounding the payments for, in my case at least, talking to the users, understanding what is the demographic you're solving the biggest problem for. Because not everybody is your core audience. Even if you're designing something like YouTube or you're designing something like you know Google Search or Nextdoor, it's, not everybody is your core user at that particular point in time. So, you start with the people who are really, you're really solving the problem for, and then you expand from that. It's kind of concentric circles. So, you have a core audience that hopefully loves you, and then you build on top of it and you get to the next layer, and then the next layer of people who could be finding it interesting. You
1: that's almost how have how to Facebook like create grew. a. Sorry?
0: That's how Facebook grew and lots of other people grew, right? They get a core audience that really likes what they are building.
1: Facebook started as like for universities. You know, you could only be, I remember when yes. Facebook actually launched. I went to just a CUNY school. It wasn't part of the original rollout, like Ivy League colleges and, and stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> yes,
0: They capitalized on that really well. I, wasn't, I haven't been to an Ivy school Yeah, I
1: was a little late to that game. There was a service would register you like an EDU email address just so you can have a Facebook account, like, for, like even if you oh, didn't wow. go to college back then.
0: That's so funny. I mean, that's amazing, right? Like to create that kind of frenzy and like demand. That's pretty awesome
1: does that exclusivity idea work anymore? I saw, I think it was like Sam Altman from Y Combinator or someone tweeted recently that it only works in very, it actually can like make your business fail very quickly. But like doing that sort of exclusivity or like beta list, not beta list, but like it works. And I guess in some of those dating apps we saw launched it, it worked. Yeah. Again, I think it's
0: really the market you're trying to tackle, right? I mean, I don't know if social network that's exclusively, that goes to, just tries to follow the Facebook playbook exactly would succeed today because, yeah. you know, we have digital natives, we have like people who have grown up with a cell phone in their pockets and it's just a different world out there. There's Snap, there's like so many different apps out there. But I think it's about uh, exclusivity as a concept, I feel works. It depends on how well it's implemented in your product. So when we launched Taki, we had a wait list. We crossed 750,000 people on our waitlist and we were like, okay, now we need to do something about this. Like we can't just have that many people on our waitlist. But it did create a lot of intrigue and like questions about like, hey, what is this? We opened up the waitlist. We have like, you know, we invited everybody to come on the platform. It's, it's, it's really, again, tool for the trade, like tool for the job, right? Like I, I don't know if exclusively works for everything. Like if you have a limited editions X, then you might want to make it exclusive because you just don't have enough of it to go around.
1: So if you were like at, at like a holiday dinner or something and you were talking to someone or you were at like, you know, in the park walking and you were talking to someone and they said, oh, this is what you do. So why should I use Talkie over Instagram or Facebook? But that's the wrong question, right? Because that person may not be who your user is. And this is like a lesson for everyone when you're pitching your, your product or your service, right? And when I was pitching Bitcoin to people 10 years ago, I had to know who was the person asking me the question to know how I answered still till today. Focus on who is asking the question. So going back to you, who is the user of Taki? How did you know who that person was first to to engage them or to find them?
0: I think we're still trying to figure that out. I mean, we're really early. We are less than a year old. We launched, we opened up our waitlist like less than four months, three and a half months ago. So for us, we're still trying to, I I would say we're still in the learning phase. We're seeing natural adoption by creators I would say like creators who are up and coming, who want to establish themselves, creators who understand the crypto world a little bit, and they just want to kind of own their destiny. They want to experiment with something new. And we're seeing just a wide variety of creators embracing Taki, which has been cool. Like we have like video vloggers, we have like travel vloggers, we have uh, somebody who's writing a book and like just publishes her a chapter every week and gets like, you know, people, people interested in in, in people by the, by his or hers user coin. And that's kind of a good validation whether people like the content or not. We've zeroed in on content creator or any creator who wants to experiment with this whole new media, which is web three slash crypto, and is, is mindful of the fact that they want to own their influence. That's really the target for me at Taki, right? Like I want to empower creators to own their influence. I mean, today, your influence is so tied to the platform that you're a star of, like whether you're YouTube or Instagram, you're you're kind of at the mercy of the algorithm. That influence is not owned by you. That influence is not owned by your fans. I mean, you could have early fans who loved your work, right? They're not angel investors in you because they can't be. There's just no space for that. And also, like as I was talking earlier, like you have all this creators are generating the value by the platforms. They don't get a share in that. They don't no. get ownership in that. And so, why? I mean, with Web3, we have this unprecedented opportunity to flip that model around. If you believe social is a massive business, which, you know, if you follow any public markets, you know it is, why not take some of that and give it back to the users? And how would you do it without crypto? It's pretty hard.
1: What does the Taki app look like now? We've talked to a lot of people about play to earn, earn to play. You have all the different consensus algorithms of like the crypto 1.0s and the Bitcoin proof of work, proof of stake delegation. This is engaged to earn. What does the app look like right now if I download it and, and, and how am I earning while I'm engaging?
0: The one thing that we've tried to do is make it super simple. I would like Taki to be the place which onboards the next 10 million users into crypto. That's the design ethos is really simplicity. And we've tried to make it really easy and very much like modeled on behaviors people already know. So like posting a photo, commenting, all of that. But at the core of it, what Kataki is, is that it's a place where anybody can create their own user coin. It's a crypto coin. And their fans can basically buy and sell those coins. So, you know, if you're a Kotaki user, you created your own crypto coin, other people can buy and sell that invest in you in some ways like by buying your coin and holding it and if you create more content and people like the engagement that you have then you get more visibility on the platform so more people will like potentially buy your coin so it's it's in in some ways we are taking influence and making it something more tangible and something that you can put your uh, mark on so that's kind of what we are building at Taki at the core of it
1: the app is beautiful
0: thank you I appreciate that we're trying really hard to build something that's very user-friendly It doesn't feel scary for people who've never... You don't even need a crypto wallet to start with Taki. You know, you start earning tokens and you never have to talk to an exchange or take it out of the system. You can just do it for fun too. Then it's just a game, right? The engage to earn aspect as you were talking about before I get sidetracked is um, essentially as a Taki user, you come to the platform, you create an account, you just need a phone number or your Gmail address is fine. And um, you start looking at, you know, we have these things called daily tasks, like daily rewards. So you do a few actions on the site and you get earn a little bit of crypto in the Taki. Taki is the token that we have. It's a live token. It's a listed token. And just for doing things like commenting, and we have a whole list of tasks that change every week, you can earn this crypto and you, you can buy user coins with that. You can give tips to creators you love and all of without bringing in a cent from your own wallet. But you can also value in Taki tokens or value out the Taki token. So I think our philosophy is really to give full control to both users, creators, as well as regular users. And that's kind of what we have
1: designed for. I'm really excited to see what you talk about come to fruition. And that is the ability for creators to own more of their creation and the downstream distribution and the effects of it. And it's very difficult to monetize that without being cheesy or gimmicky. Even Mm -hmm. the show included, there are so many companies that have offered us to do whether it's like an nft or some token or a situation and and me being in bitcoin for as long as i am you'd think that i'd be the first one to jump at it but i've always been cautious because i understand that crypto needs to be a value add that people realize the value and naturally want to be attracted to it and use it and enjoy it same thing with bitcoin and things like that when you kind of force the crypto on people then they'll naturally kind of pull back and pull away from it. What I see so far with Taki is that you've like focused on the social network first and the economy second, but you have to walk a tightrope, right? Like it's the same thing with games. You have games that are amazing, but as soon as those games introduce an economy with money involved, it corrupts those relationships, those natural relationship mapping that originally created the value Next door's value is the ability for you and your neighbor to be on there. And that relationship that was physical is now on the internet. YouTube did the same thing with two people talking about, Hey, what films or TV shows do you like, or like little short clips or whatever? That's what you you've been doing. How are you going to do that with talkie? Like that, that tightrope is what makes me nervous in investing in companies like yours, even starting some things, because I don't know how to like perfectly walk that line.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic question. It's actually hard, right? I think that's where the trying to slap on crypto onto an existing community that has already got an identity associated with the product that you're using is pretty hard. With Taki, what we've taken though is like a very grassroots approach. So we've taken token design as central to all interactions. So for example, when you follow someone, you're actually buying that person's token. You are, when you like something, you're actually giving them tokens. Like it's paid, right? It's a paid action. So what we have done is, there are multiple things actually. One is the token-based token, token based economy itself. And then there is the whole platform economy and like just making it sustainable. So you're not just riding the waves of tokens, appreciation or depreciation outside of that particular platform ecosystem. So in terms of like, we've really thoughtful, we've been very thoughtful about how do we encourage users to kind of part participate in this with the core premise being that this is token power it's not a it's not a token that's added on right like it's not something oh you know you can do these things and then you can add on a token and how do we also make it very self-sustaining by letting people which is play to earn is like a non-model engage to one is a little it's a twist on it which is like attention is valuable and can you kind of put a value or like a price value, a dollar value on attention? Because right now, other platforms are taking your attention and basically monetizing that. That's literally happening, right, everywhere else. So can we use the token economics? Can we use tokenization and basically capture some of that and give it back to the creator? So we've we've, spent a lot of time thinking about, like, the token flows through the system, the platform, how token economics would work, how do we kind of distribute tokens, what are the rewards in our platform, and how do you make sure that we're not, like, just building this never-ending inflationary ponzi kind of platform. So those are the kind of things that we've already, that's that's like front and center for us. And the social is overlaid on top of it. But the design principle is that to make it as much like social, so it's very easy for people to understand. So it's kind of this balancing act that we are constantly doing.
1: It's not an easy task, right? Advertising is the main way that Web2, or up until this point right now, not just social networks, but any type of eyeball location that some website wants you to go there or an app wants you to use it, they're likely monetizing through advertising. And if you saw advertisers like Apple pulling out of Twitter could even bring someone like Elon Musk down to his knees and says, Apple, I need you to come. And Apple came back to Twitter advertising. You're trying to like remove that from this whole equation. And I know that this is an amazing crypto, such as amazing social experiment this is a huge task that you're doing. And I'm impressed by it. So like, how do you fill that vacuum that that power vacuum that void where where not just where does the monetization come from? But how are these relationships mapped? Really, really
0: thoughtful. Thank you. I think what we we're thinking about is like, I actually don't think advertising is evil, or advertising is bad, or it needs to be cut out of web three ecosystem. And maybe I'm like, a the outlier here i don't know but like you when you look at sweatcoin right versus stepin or something yeah. like that you see that they have leveraged advertising relationships in a very authentic way and i think that's the key the key is how do you wherever the monetization comes from how do you make sure that it's very community centric how do you make sure that it is there's transparency around it whereas the economic distribution is um you know equitable is like understood really well, right? That doesn't mean that the platform is a charity. That's, not, that's far from it. I mean, this is, this is more about rising tides. When you look at the whole ecosystem, advertising is a huge revenue generator across the board because that's where the money is, right? So one question that my team and I always think about is like, how do we leverage that in a way that is new and different, right? Can we leverage that? What is the promise of Web3, right? What is it that we're trying to build with Web3? is it about relying only on token price and token economics, or is it about really building large ecosystems, which leverage these different, as as I call building blocks, right? Whether it's users, creators, advertisers, uh, partnerships, whatever it is, but it's done in a very different way than the traditional web two model, right? Where the economic distribution is owned by the community, where the economic distribution benefits the community at large, right? So, it's true. I mean, one example, and this is not something we've done yet, but it's something I think about is like, you know, what if the ad, ad revenue like mostly made it to the users through tokens, right? Like, you know, we do token buybacks or whatever it is, and it goes back to the people who hold the tokens and the way they owned they get the tokens, either they bought it, but more importantly, they could have earned it on the platform, right? So yeah. all of these things are like designs that we are thinking about. And we don't have a precedent, right? We have nobody to look at to say, "Hey, you—they got it 100% right," and we just have to duplicate that model. So um, it's a lot of learning and a lot of experimentation.
1: That's why it's amazing to be in this industry because you get to learn and experiment as you're building something cool. But I agree with you with the advertising; like, it's just going to be like a decentralized mechanism for it, right? And so you hit—you said something really cool. So the way they earn the token could be the data that is used to eventually know as much about the user as possible to know who to advertise to. Almost like how if you want to find like a problem in your body, don't they, they like you drink like a fluid that has a certain type of like chemical in it that when they do the Mm x-ray, they can see inside your body. It's kind of like that. The token is the mapping, how someone earned it. And it would be cool if like me as a podcaster, if I wanted to advertise to the users of talking, if I can go to a DAO that just outlined All the different like data points about how people earn their tokens and I could deposit money and then it'd be distributed to those users if they engage with my podcast in a fully decentralized way. Instead of going to like ads.facebook.com or like ads.twitter.com, which I don't mind doing, but it's like, there's zero transparency there, zero accountability. And it's like, I'm just paying for at the whims and you don't know if it actually gets to the end user or not. I'm hoping, I'm praying. Yes
0: yes absolutely and i think these are not easy problems right these are hard problems but i think the intent is there to make sure that like we get this right and the two of the companies that you mentioned and like you know you're familiar with like in my resume like whether it's google search or like youtube they both basically invent, reinvented slash or disrupted existing business models in a way that have made the existing business models obsolete in some ways right i mean back into early 2000s late 90s like the idea of like a search ad unit being valuable was like laughable, right? Everybody was doing display ads. Really? And
1: the same thing with, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So, I was in the search
1: business. so the idea of like search ads, it's just no one really thought it would be something big. It was always displays. Interesting.
0: Yeah, and search ads was never really huge. So, I mean, there was a small company called Alta Vista that was acquired by like uh, Overture or to they did this ad search auction model and then Google actually perfected it. That's the history in search. Today, like, you know, intent-based advertising is the only way people advertise. Even what you just described is intent-based, right? Like, so that's like demographic targeting. All of the, A lot of that, I mean, existed in different ways and forms, but the fact that like a search query could lead to intent is, and that is really valuable real estate was just not something that people focused on. It was all about grand enterprises and big dollars.
1: But display ads were more like guessing, you're guessing what a person wanted to see. Whereas when someone's searching something, you know what they want to see.
0: True. But I think what I I want to touch on is it was really new, right? The volume of people searching was still low. Google search was like, Yahoo partnered with Google search to, in the early days to like, you know, provide search engine capabilities because it was, Just a small part of why people used Yahoo. The directory structure was like prominent at that time, predominant at that time. And it's not that different today, right? We are seeing demographic targeting. Other ways are more relevant, more prevalent right now. And who knows what Web3 slash crypto slash decentralization will bring.
1: So now you have like me thinking about comparisons of, of the 90s versus today when it comes to building out the early internet versus building this out now you had to be thinking about all the different analogies and comparing and contrasting all those different times. What I still can't wrap my head around is that at least then you, were, you had the ability to, to hire developers, engineers, you're writing code. Whatever you're building, you're building on your own systems and then you're figuring out how to connect it to other people's systems. But here, the outlier is, the, what's different is that you have these like, public blockchains that you're, you have to build on. So like in your case, you're talking about Solana. And that could change, right? Are you a protocol that could be chain agnostic? There's all these other questions that you have to ask yourself. How do you, like, you wrap your head around that? Because you were talking about building out some of those earlier, all those earlier you know, companies. Now that you have these like, public blockchains that you're at like, the whim of, how, does, how do you kind of factor that in?
0: In some ways, it's similar. In some ways, it's very different, right? So it's similar because like, when, you, when you think about web search in the early days or YouTube in the early days, you didn't have the infrastructure. You just didn't have, like, there was nobody else facing the same problems as, like, web search scale, right? So, like, my husband and I joke that we both worked in web search, like, you know, we've worked at most of the web search companies between us. And it's, like, you know, he wrote his own crawlers, like, back in the day, because there was just no... And built his own data centers, because there was just no infrastructure. So, in some ways, it's it's, it's it feels like, really, you would do that? Like, you know, and it's like, yeah, because there was no other way to do it. Like, there just wasn't the... Tech stacks that you have, there was no AWS like you know power things, and so in some ways it's similar because there's a lot of the stuff we need for development. Like you know you could you could start building something and you realize you need all of this, and that could become its own company because it's like just like so much stuff that still needs to be built, and that I think is the uh, probably the similarity. I think what this building on blockchain does is like things just makes things more transparent, right? Like you're you're building in public uh building in you know, the public, um, yeah. Just just you know in the public eye. Yeah. And I I mean we we have like most of a lot of our stats are public. If you go to stats that like you know, if you go to our stats page uh, on Taki, you will see like, you know, our growth and they're like, oh if growth slows down, everybody knows, like, right? you know, it may just be because you, you know, you, you still you need to scale your servers or you decide like to change some referral rewards or whatever it is. But it's public. like Everybody knows what's happening. Like The amount of transactions happening on the platform is right there. So I think that's the kind of stuff that really makes it interesting and like, you know, makes you focus in some ways on the right stuff. So you don't want to mess around with, uh, you know, you're, you're like, whatever you do is just right there for everybody to see. And that's kind of cool um, in, in ways that builds transparency from like onset. With, with regards to being with WIMS at other blockchains, I think it's more a symbiotic relationship, especially with Solana. We've had a pretty good relationship. I mean, I think everybody's at that phase where everybody wants things to succeed. So uh, if there's any issues that we face, like, you know, it's it's more about it a dialogue. Um, my, I mean, we are incubated. Yeah, and we're incubated with like Superlayer and we're pretty close to Polygon folks as well. so there's like a lot of synergy across the board. So I'm not, I'm not too worried. I think, I think just that overall blockchain, like, you know, just like when you talk of capacity, throughput, and it's all happening as you're building these consumer facing apps. So you just have to accept, accept.
1: What's on your 2023 roadmap? What are you going to be focusing on 2023?
0: But I think 2023 is really about doubling, tripling down on users, and also solving for the greater economy, right? For Taki, so beyond tokens, like you know, is there an ad model that works? Is there a ad model where users voluntarily participate in that, basically yeah. makes this whole see- ecosystem self-sustaining? I mean, wouldn't that be cool if we could figure that out? Like, just like if we could solve for that, and
1: that's that's what 2023 will bring—the year of the self-sustaining ecosystem, where the, the demand and the utility will be at perfect harmony with the selling pressure of the other side or whatever it is. And you'll find like a perfect balance and then mm-hmm. you'll see growth come out on the other side of that. And you're already seeing it with, with a lot of amazing projects.
0: Yeah, I hope that's how <laughs> it turns out and we are talking and, you know, in December next year and we're uh, oh, like, you can please feel free to say, I told you so.
1: I've personally been predicting these waves and, and cycles forever, but on this show, if you go back and listen to any of these shows, we were talking to Charles Hoskinson about Cardano before, not even five people knew about it. I love doing this. And thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and doing this with us. And And wow, you taught us so much. I know that listeners will probably go and check out Taki and enjoy it and, and have fun with it. Next year, I'm going to put on the calendar. We're going to have you back on the show. And we're going to say, I told you Thank so. Thank
0: you. <laughs> yes, I would love to hear that from you. This has been really fun for me as well. I'm passionate about it. I feel like I'm I'm just learning. You know, there's so much... I feel fortunate that I can apply about a, at least a little bit of my background. But it's it's really just it's exciting because you're learning something new every day. It doesn't happen much.
1: Thank you, Sakina. I'll see you later.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.